Welcome to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the company behind this podcast and other great programs like Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program, which provides $2,000 cash scholarships to third-year law students and internships to second-year law students, along with leadership training and mentors. And Journey to Esquire, the blog, which provides insightful articles to help navigate you through law school and beyond. Find out more on our website, www.journeytoesquire.com. Hey, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, just like I'm doing now. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. My name is Ray Petty, and this is Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Today, we pass the mic to Jared Krukar. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, my name is Jared Krugar. I'm a board-certified appellate specialist with the firm of Kynes, Markman, and Fellman in Tampa. So I'm a board-certified appellate practitioner. Um, as That means I do appellate work and trial support. Some students, I find, and, and even people early in their careers, don't really understand what appellate work is. Um, it's easy to, to say that, oh, I handle appeals, but what does that really mean? So for the law students or, or undergrad students that might be out there listening to this, when you have a case that goes to a trial or goes through trial litigation and is resolved by a court and results in a judgment or a dismissal or something like that, you have the right in Florida to take an appeal of that judgment. You get to take your case up to the next level, which may be the Circuit Court Appellate Division or the District Court of Appeal, or in rare cases, the Supreme Court. Um, and ask for a review for any really legal errors. Um, it's, not, it's not a rehash of the case, but it's it's a review to make sure that you weren't denied any sort of certain legal remedy you were supposed to have, or the other side didn't get any didn't get any sort of unfair legal advantage. Um, it's a very particularized point of law because the the lens through which the appellate court has to look at what happened um, is very different than what the trial court does, what you might present to the trial court. And so I specialize in that. So I think I wanted to be a lawyer at the young age of four or five, and I couldn't really explain why at that point. But over the years, I kind of reaffirmed it. I was a big fan of the original Law & Order series back when Ben Stone was the prosecutor, and then Jack McCoy took on over that, and I kept watching that throughout my uh I'm not going to say exactly how old I was at the time when that came on, but whenever that was. Um, and I kind of always wanted to be involved in more like a business lawyer perspective. And, and I, I think it may have just been the whole, I wanted to be a professional. I wanted to wear a suit and tie, how little I knew back then about how much I would hate suit and ties later on. Um, but I always wanted to be the suit and tie guy doing corporate contracts and setting up businesses and being important. Um, that business aspect and the importance aspect faded as I matured and grew up a little bit, but um, the idea of being a lawyer kind of always stuck, and maybe I just had 
had cemented that in my mind and was just going to go through with it no matter what, but I'm glad I did. So when I applied to law school, I was finishing up my degree at the University of Florida. And I think at that point, I knew I wanted to stay in Florida. Um, I had a business interest in Fort Myers I was still working on, and my family was in Florida. Um, the person I was dating at the time I was applying was still in Florida. Um, so I applied to a couple schools, only a couple. I applied to UF and to Stetson Law. Um, I applied to Stetson. For some reason, Tampa was always alluring to me. I couldn't really tell you why. Uh, I When I moved to Florida, I was in Fort Myers and drove back and forth to Gainesville on a regular basis. And Tampa was the big, interesting city that wasn't quite Miami, which was foreign to me. But it kind of goes along with that idea of the corporate law wanting to be in some sort of, maybe not an ivory tower, but you know, wearing the suit every day. Um, so I applied to Stetson, applied to UF. I ended up not getting into UF. Um, thought about sticking around in Gainesville for a semester and reapplying, but at that time I was, as much as I love Gainesville, it was becoming more of a place that I wanted to visit and not a place I wanted to live permanently. And Tampa had such legal opportunities um, after law school that I thought it would be a good fit. So, so I made my way to Stetson. Law school for me was a mixed bag. Um, my first year, I would say I probably did not enjoy. Uh, first year of law school was was rough. Uh, grading was hard. The work was hard. There was a ton of it. I had a couple of professors who I thought were mean and learned later on that they were not and turned out to love them thereafter. But they subscribed to the old school Socratic methods, stand you up until you want to cry um, method of law school. And, and they became my, my best friends in law school after when I, when I really sat down and talked with them. Um, but until I got that appreciation for what they did and really got over the fear of, of not knowing the answer, uh, the first year was, was tough. Thereafter, I did enjoy my law school experience. Part of that is because I got into the teaching fellow program at Stetson and started working with helping other students work on their writing. And I think that gave me a little bit of a break from um, worrying about my own, my own uh, inabilities or inadequacies on my own work and being able to help other people with, with theirs. Um, that started a long line of different jobs I took in law school as professor's assistant or research assistant. I think I had five or six different positions over my next two years there um, on antitrust, ADR, I did some research for the National Clearinghouse for Science, Technology, and the Law, which I think has a slightly different name now, hopefully. It's a really big mouthful. Um, but I, I looked for opportunities within law school to, to break it up for myself. And helping others made me worry less about what I was doing wrong. Um, so by the end of law school, I was having a great time. And I was ready to leave, but also very afraid to leave. Um, so, and, and now being in practice, um, there are definitely days that I miss law school. <laughs> so after law school, as I'm studying for the bar exam, I did not have any job lined up. Um, I'd spent a lot of my time during law school working in the school and not really having any 
clerkship experience or anything like that. I did an internship with um, in-house counsel for a corporation during that time, but it was a very small department, so they didn't have any availability for anybody. It was four attorneys, and they were all longstanding attorneys there. So so my job search after law school was was a little nerve-wracking. Um, studying for the bar exam, I was spending a lot of time looking online, um, applying for jobs as they came up. One of the things I was interested in doing uh, in doing was a clerkship. Um, so as I'm looking for jobs, I applied for a few. Uh, I applied for one with the Second District Court of Appeal in Florida, uh, in Lakeland at the time. And that position open was for one of the judges there. Came in, interviewed with him, and didn't get that job. So little disheartened by that. It's now after the bar exam, and now I'm sitting at home waiting for results, not sure if I'm going to pass. At the same time, not having a job and knowing about you know mortgage payments that will be coming up in the next few months and, and figuring out my fam- finances about how well we can manage and how long we can manage, my wife and I. So another job opening opens up at the Second District Court of Appeal for central staff. And even though I'd been rejected by one judge in the court, I figured, why not? So I did apply for that job, and they gave me almost like a take-home exam. It was um, they gave me a, a prompt, a, a problem that they would typically have in central staff. It happened to involve post-conviction relief. So they gave me a limited universe of cases. They sent me home with five or six cases, a couple of rules, and said, "Analyze the problem and tell us what we should do." Fortunately, all that teaching fellow experience where I was working on helping students in law school develop their mock trial briefs and um, memos and appellate briefs, this was kind of right up my alley. Give me a closed universe of stuff and let me analyze it and give you a result and argue it one way or the other. So I did that and I got a great phone call from the court saying I was definitely under consideration. And then a few days, they said, call us when you uh, get your results from the bar exam. That was only a couple weeks away at that point. So that was two nerve wracking weeks. And I got my results from the bar exam. I passed on the first try. Thank goodness. Although not everybody does, but I was very pleased to have done that. After jumping up and down around the house, literally jumping up or down around the house for about 20 minutes by myself, my wife was at work. I called my, I called the court and they're like, oh, well, that's fantastic because we actually wanted you. We just need to make sure you pass. So you have a job. So in the course of 45 minutes, I went from panicking about everything in the world, um, not having a job, not having a bar license to fixing all of that. And my start date was the following week. So that was my initial job search. So when I was choosing an area of practice after my clerkship, it was kind of easy. I spent six years almost with the Second District Court of Appeal, uh, two years with central staff, and four years with Judge Casanueva, and had a lot of appellate experience. So it may not have been where I originally thought I was going to end up, but after six years of experience, I was looking for appeals. Um, And so that really became the focus of my search for a position outside of the court when I decided to leave. And I ended up falling in with a a large insurance defense firm that had an appellate group where I would be doing 90% appeals, which was was perfect for me. 
Um, so that's how I ended up doing appeals. And then that's all I've ever done since with trial support as well. Teaching. The other thing that I do, um, is I teach at the University of Tampa. I'm an adjunct professor there uh, for the Law, Justice, and Advocacy minor. I teach currently Intro to Law, Justice, and Advocacy. I occasionally hop into other classes and sub or speak with those as well that are all legally related. Um, teaching is something I've always wanted to do. It, it kind of started with my experience at Stetson where I ended up working with other students quite a bit uh, as a teaching fellow or professor's assistant. So even back then is when I always kind of picture myself as a lawyer by day that it would pick up a single class at night and, and teach a class every uh, once, once or twice a week. Um, so to get into that, I had a friend at the court at the time who ended up teaching as an adjunct at the University of Tampa. And she would often call me to guest lecture on one or two topics that she had that were interesting during the course of the semester. And I love doing it. And every time I was there, I would make a point to say, hey, if anything ever opens up here, another adjunct position, please, by all means, give me a call. I love doing this. I have a blast. Um, turns out that a few semesters ago, they had a position open and I jumped at it. So I've been teaching that intro to law class ever since. And it's been a great compliment to the rest of my practice. It it lets me kind of, um, it, it's it's a nice change in perspective from working on complex cases all day, uh, working on serious issues with potentially very serious people on the other side and going into a classroom where you have students who haven't been exposed to the law and have different perspectives on what they think should be right versus what the law actually provides. And, um, or when those two coincide, that's really the best option. But it, it's a great, um, it's a great break from what I do during the day. And it lets me kind of bring my best to both. You're listening to Journey to Esquire, the podcast where we explore the best ways to promote diversity, create access, and feed the legal pipeline with talented students of all backgrounds. Here are some guidance from today's guest. A few years ago, I had an eye-opening experience regarding diversity. So I am a white male and realistically haven't ever had to deal with any sort of um, open prejudice or bias that I'm aware of, not certainly not to um, the extent that of some of the things I've learned since then. Um, so a few years ago, the Hillsborough County Bar Association put on a full day presentation on unconscious bias. And this was part of their bench bar conference for the year. So I signed up and attended. I attend the bench bar conference pretty much every year, as long as I can. And there are quite a few things about that day that, that changed my perspective on not only our profession, but you know how I approach um, what I do daily. So I'll, I'll share a little bit about what my day was there. There were, I, I, I hesitate to say statistics turned me, but, but I have a mind that really logic and statistics um, strike a chord with me. And some of the statistics, speaking of how um, 
small, I don't, I don't, I don't want to minimize it either, but, but, um, smaller, not, not broad, um, I'll just say issues with diversity at even the law school level or starting associate level, um, where there might be one person hired based upon what their name sounds like versus another, all from an unconscious bias perspective, not intentionally, but one person's hired versus another, their, say their equivalent in their grades, in their resume, everything like that. But one person has a, an ethics sounding name, another person doesn't. There was a study done where this would happen on a regular basis, where they would send out false resumes and somebody got a call back, somebody didn't. They were the exact same resumes, except the name was changed. Just changing the number of people that apply or the number of people that get this first job and how that escalates on a I guess it's almost like a reverse exponential scale to the point where you may have okay diversity in the lower ranks, but you add up any time that unconscious bias affects somebody at each level going up, and you end up with a very non-diverse group at the top. Um, and there are a number of statistics, statistics given on that as well as far as how many uh, people of color or women um, are in the upper ranks of law firms or upper ranks of companies. And it was striking to me. Those statistics really had an impact on me. The, the, the study where they had sent out false resumes to 500 CEOs and asked them who they would hire versus who they wouldn't. Um, it really struck a chord with me. The other thing that struck a chord with me is that, and it may have just been my perception, but as we're sitting there learning about this information, I took the time to look around the room. And in that room, I felt that it was significantly more diverse than previous bench bar conferences had been that I had attended. And also a smaller turnout, which means that, again, this may have been just my perception at the time, or maybe I was just finally becoming aware of it, but it seemed like there were less white people there. Um, and this is a lesson that really should, as, as a white person there, I'm thinking, wow, this is opening my eyes and looking around. The problem is, is that there aren't other pe more people like me here. That's part of the problem. So that was a major life-changing event for me, um, or eye-opening. I don't want to say life-changing because I still don't have to face bias on a regular day. I am still a, a white guy who's an attorney who doesn't have to deal with this on a daily basis as far as it goes to myself. But it changed how I, first of all, recognize any unconscious biases that I have. I take the time to think anytime, anytime that something affects me, I may have some sort of preconception about a person and it pops into my head. I take the time to realize why did that preconception jump into my head? Is that really fair to whoever I'm speaking with? Um, so just exercising that every day has changed my perception on everybody I speak with really. But also, um, it's caused me to look around, look around the room more often when I'm at events. Um, I'm fairly active in the Florida bar appellate practice section and not for lack of effort or not, not lack of, well, not for lack of desire by the group or any sort of open bias. There definitely isn't any of that. It's a wonderful group of people who work hard together and really try to create experiences for everybody else. But it's also a, that room of people that's between 30 and 50 people at the meetings of the people who are running the appellate practice section, 
lacks in diversity, significantly lacks in diversity. Um, at that time or shortly thereafter, I can't recall exactly when this was, I became the chair of the outreach committee for the appellate practice section. And outreach is all about looking to bring people into the appellate practice section, bring, give people leadership opportunities or management opportunities where they wouldn't have had any, and also looking to spread the message of the appellate practice section to everybody, letting them know that we are there and, and serving the community, whether it's other lawyers, whether it's people in the community, whether it's um, the judiciary, whoever. We're, we're, we're there to provide a service to the citizens of Florida and the bar of Florida. Um, that kind of dovetailed perfectly with, hey, I have this newfound appreciation for the lack of diversity, and, and, and that's something we should be looking to correct and doing whatever we can to correct, uh, whatever that entails. So um, we spent the next two years while I was chair, our focus was on improving diversity, so outreaching to diverse groups. When considering people for leadership opportunities or speaking opportunities, the first thing was, how can we make sure that this is a good blend of people from different backgrounds, uh, different ethnicities, different religions, even different um, even different uh, financial abilities. Um, we have a, a dearth of government lawyers who are active in our section. Uh, large, at least I think, and, and from several I've spoken with, in part it's because they don't have the financial resources to travel across the state to go to meetings. Um, what can we do to make things easier for them to access? So we're not excluding any group, no matter no matter whether it's based on their um, ethnicity, origin, religion, or employment. Um, so the appellate practice section has been great about working on that to the point that we've actually created a diversity committee and that has started just this year and we're, we're building it up. I'm chairing that committee to get it ramped up. I've also um, gotten involved with the statewide committee on diversity, no, the standing committee on diversity and inclusion of the Florida Bar. Um, and going to those meetings, it's kind of the same thing. You, you walk into those meetings and the number of white people in those meetings does not match the percentage of lawyers that are white in the state. Um, it's a wonderfully diverse group. And I learned so much just from being there and speaking with people. I wish there were more people like me involved um, and hearing the messages and hearing the stories and and appreciating that not everybody has had the experience that I have had. Um, and, and as I've learned today, and, and being able just to believe the stories that people will share with you because, because everybody will have a different experience based on their background. And although it's hard if you haven't lived those scenarios yourself, and I'm by no means saying I'm an expert on this, but I'm working to learn more about it. Um, just appreciating that other people will have different experiences in even mundane situations um, and will face difficulties and prejudices and unconscious bias where I might not have to. And looking for ways to countervene that, that problem.
Now, it's my pleasure to introduce you to one of the law students in the Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program. Hi, my name is Kishni Theus, and I recently completed my last semester at WMU Thomas M. Cooley Law School, and I'm a proud Journey to Esquire scholar. I have a passion for the law, which is why I decided to pursue a career as a lawyer. My goal is to be an asset to my community and to be a voice for those who do not have one. Since becoming a Journey to Esquire scholar, I'm more confident in my ability to pass the bar exam and successfully practice law. The program has strategically constructed modules that we are required to attend. Each module has taught me something new. I've learned how to maintain a growth mindset. I've learned tactics on how to meditate and maintain a healthy lifestyle. And I've been paired with a mentor who took the time to meet with me and gave me tips on searching for jobs post-law school and how to approach the bar exam. I also appreciated the legal writing seminar where two appellate attorneys uh, took the time to show us effective writing strategies and common mistakes to avoid in practice. Journey to Esquire has truly been my pipeline to success, and I appreciate what the program has done for me thus far. You just heard from Jarek Krukar. In his time with us, he gave us four key takeaways. Number one, preconceived notions. Number two, dealing with conscious bias. Number three, a lack of diversity in the legal community. And number four, everybody has different experiences and different prejudices that they deal with on a daily basis, but we should always look for ways to counteract to make our legal community a more inclusive one. I'd like to give a special thanks to all of our supporters, especially our JD level sponsors, U.S. District Courts, Middle District of Florida's Bench Bar Fund, and Agape Christian Bar Preparation Services, Inc. for their generous support. I'd also like to thank WMU Cooley Law School, Tampa Bay Campus, for providing a space for the recording of several of the episodes of this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Support, share, subscribe. And for more, visit www.journeytoesquire.com.